morning. I'm Grandpa Jimmy, and welcome to the Family and Stories podcast. You know, one of the things I like to do on these podcasts is really bring stories that I think will reveal the grace of God, the love of God, and His goodness through lives of people. And we have a guest today that has a story to tell. He's an extraordinary man. He's had an amazing life journey, and one you're going to hear about today. Now, this gentleman holds 12 Guinness Book World Records. He's been on television shows from Good Morning America to America's Got Talent to Ripley's Believe It or Not and many, many more. Some say superhuman. Some call him the hurricane. Others say he's full of hot air. But the one he likes best and the one most remembered is I'm, he's the believe guy. They call him, I'm the believe guy. So I'd like to welcome Brian Jackson from Muskegee, Oklahoma to our program. Thanks for being here, Brian. Good morning. No CEO to hooch. Now you got to explain that. Uh, greeting in Cherokee. So are you, like, like you're a pure Cherokee Indian? Yes. That's pretty cool. Tell us just a little bit about your background. Uh, I actually grew up in, in California. It was a lot like the, the Brady Bunch, and then I moved back to Oklahoma when I was nine. Didn't really know what prejudice was until I moved back to Oklahoma, and uh, that's something I, I learned really quick that I didn't care for. Oh, you mean yeah. there was more prejudice in Oklahoma than California toward Indians? Yeah, it was it was uncomfortable. You know, in California, we play cowboys and Indians, and I was always the Indian because we made a joke of it. I was Indian, but I really was. And so when I got back to Oklahoma, I thought it would be kind of cool, but it, it was just the old stereotype. Um, it wasn't really highly thought of, and um, you didn't think much about yourself. Native Americans were kind of looked down on, and not a lot of uh, role models in the Native American community. And so... Um, I learned really quick it was something I didn't like and was never going to do. So did that affect your life as a teenager? It did. I, I was always looking for a way to fit in. I was always looking for a way to be cool. Um, anything that I could do. I actually went out for the track team because I knew all all the shows and movies that I'd seen, the Indians could run really fast and really far. So I went out for the track team, and I thought, you know, maybe that would do it. And uh I actually did go to the state track meet my junior year in high school in the two-mile run. I was in the top 12 fastest uh, two-mile runners in the state of Oklahoma my junior year. You know, that, now that's kind of interesting to me because you're not a six-foot guy. No, I'm only five-foot-five. That's so, pretty good for somebody five-foot-five. That's rare for a long-distance runner. Yeah, I would, I would. a lot of times you'd watch films, and I would take two steps to some of those guys one step. Oh, my goodness. So I always thought that I was running four miles instead of two miles. <laughs> but, you know, I had a coach that pushed me really tough. His name was Coach Tinsley. And, you know, he pushed me really hard. And for a long time, I didn't think that man liked me because he would ask me to do things I didn't like. He'd ask me to do things I didn't agree with or understand. And it finally dawned on me after a while that it wasn't that he didn't like me, but he saw something in me I never saw myself. And he was trying to get that out of me. And... I realize a lot of young people have people in their lives, coach, parents, teachers, somebody in their life that pushes them really hard. And they think that it's because they don't like them. But the truth of the matter is maybe they see something in you you don't see yourself, and they're trying to encourage you to get that out of you. That's what a coach does. Boy, that is for sure. So what happened after that? Things changed, didn't they, really quickly? Yeah, I started hanging out with 
uh, wrong people, different people, and um, was introduced to drugs by my best friend from fourth grade. Even though I knew it was wrong and knew it was illegal, I knew I could get in a lot of trouble. My mind shifted gears on me, and my mind said, you know, if I say no, is he going to laugh at me? If I say no, is he going to stop being my friend? I didn't want to lose any friends. I didn't want anybody to laugh at me, so I started doing drugs my junior year, uh, after my junior year in high school. Became one of the largest drug dealers in, in my hometown of Seminole, Oklahoma. By the time I about a year and a half out of high school, I was actually in the largest drug bust at the time in Seminole, Oklahoma. Is that right? Yeah. So did you was, go to jail over that? I did. Uh, I was looking at 10 years in prison. I was actually in my jail cell waiting for my court date. And we heard a guy come in the jail and all we could hear is preacher man. And you could hear him walking down the, the aisle and he'd get up to a different cell and he, you could hear them talking. And all I could really remember hearing was somebody would say, no, thank you, preacher man. No, thank you, preacher man. And, you know, in, in jail, you know, if you're not tough and you're not cool, then it's harder on you. And so as the steps got closer, my heart kind of raced a little bit more. And all I was ready to prepare to say was, no, thank you, preacher man. I had done so many things wrong and so many things in my life that was terrible. I decided to commit suicide in that jail the next day. Is that I, right? My I just goodness. couldn't handle the thought of going to prison for 10 years and all the things that I'd done. I'd embarrassed my mom, my dad, my family, my school. And by the time that preacher man got to those bars, I was ready for him to say something. And I was just going to tell him, no, thank you, preacher man. Just keep walking. But it was what he said that caught me off guard. My mind was filled with all these things, Brian, you're worthless, you're no good, no, you're nobody, nobody had come to see me in three weeks, and uh, I really thought I was better off dead, and what that preacher man said caught me off guard, he said, it doesn't matter what you've done, and that got all over me, and really made me mad, and it was like something pushed me off my bunk, and I found myself in front of those bars, and the, and the preacher man was on the other side, and I looked at him, I said, how can you tell me it doesn't matter what I've done, you don't know who I am, you don't know what I've done, you don't know why I'm in here. And he just looked at me, he said, he said, let's just pray about it. And I was like, no. So I told him some of the things that I'd done. You know, I'd, I'd done people wrong on drug deals and done things that one drug dealer did me wrong on a drug deal. And we woke him up at three o'clock in the morning and broke his arm with a pair of nunchucks. And when I told that preacher man these things, I, I was totally expecting him to say, you know what, you're right, you've gone too far. I was looking for justification for committing suicide. And that preacher man wouldn't do it. He would just reach his hands to those bars and look at me and say, let's pray about it. And so we'd pray about it, and then I would tell him something else I had done and expecting him to, to say, you know what, you've gone too far. There's no hope for you. And time and time again, after I would tell this preacher man things that I had done, he would just reach his hands to those bars and pray with me. And finally, I looked back in my, in my closet, and there was nothing left. And he looked at me, and he goes, how do you feel? And I said, you know, I haven't felt this good in a long time. And I looked at him and I said, I was called in the ministry when I was nine years old, but I've been running for a long time and I'm tired of running. Is that right? You actually sensed a call to minister at nine years old? At nine years old, I remember wanting to do what I saw other people doing in the church. I was the one that reached my hands to those bars that last time. And I asked him, I said, will you pray with me? And he grabbed my hands and we prayed. And I asked God to come back into my life. And at the end of that prayer, I said, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. Now, knowing that the next day I was supposed to be, I was supposed to be told where I was going to go to prison at. That's why I was going to commit suicide the next day before we went to court. But that day when I, when I asked God to give, come back into my life and I said, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. I said, you know what, if I'm supposed to minister in prison then that's what I'm going to do. And the next day 
we, we were called up by the district attorney, and for a couple hours, that man scared me to death, telling me, telling me what they were going to do to me, how they were going to treat me, and what they were going to get away with doing to me. And, he, and finally, he just stopped me. He goes, Brian, if you'll stop doing all this stupid stuff, I'm going to give you a second chance. I won't see you to prison. And I looked at him, and I was like, what? Are you kidding me? What just happened? And I started crying. And he goes, why are you crying? I told you I was going to give you a second chance. And I said, you know, nobody's come to see me for three weeks. I was convinced that nobody loved me. Nobody cared about me. Nobody. I was worthless. I'd embarrassed my mom and dad, my friends and the family. I said, nobody came to see me for three weeks. And in my head, I was convinced I was worthless. No good drug dealer. And he looked at me and he had a tear swelled up in his eye. And he goes, Brian, you're right. There's nobody that's come to see you in three weeks, but it's not because they haven't tried. And I was confused, and I said, I don't understand. He goes, Brian, there's been people here every day to come see you, but I wouldn't let them come to see you because I was trying to make a point with you. And it dawned on me that day that the enemy was lying to me. He was telling me nobody came to see me, nobody came was visiting me because nobody cared. But what he was more worried about is the, the plan that God had in, for my life. And if you had got all those visitors, you may never have come to that point of accepting Jesus again like that. I don't think I would have because— So they let you out then, right? I got out and was on probation for a long time, but it wasn't long after I got out of jail, I started going to this little church, about, about 28 people. Okay, now that's <laughs> that's where things really get interested, and this is the very early beginning of these 12 world records, isn't it? Yes, because, you know— it all goes back to when I said, God, whatever you want me to do, wherever you want me to go. I said that in my heart, and I meant it, not knowing what was going to happen. And there was a group of us that wanted to work with kids, and so we learned how to make balloon animals. We learned how to put makeup on it. We became Christian clowns. And But the balloons is what really did it for me. We were making balloon animals, and we left our pumps at home one day. I don't know if you ever tried to blow up those long, skinny balloons, but they're very tough to blow up. And when we left our pumps at home one day, I said, you know what? It's either not make balloons for all these kids or blow them up by mouth. So I started making myself learn how to blow these up by mouth. And I would just train in between events, just blowing them up as many as I could. And then I would get where I could blow two at the same time. Then I got to where I could blow three at the same time. And I had friends and family like, so where do you think that's going to take you in life? You can blow up a balloon. And I said, I don't know, but why would you put limits on what God can do? And I got to where I could blow up nine of those balloons at the same time. You know, we had gone to see the the group, the power team, the big strong guys. And I was watching TV with my girls one day. And we watched the guy on TV from Luxembourg blow up a hot water bottle with his breath until it burst for a Guinness World Record. And I felt like God said, that's your world record. That's yours. I mean, now who, who would have thought that would be God? Your, your world record is going to be blowing up a hot water bottle. I mean, it sounds silly at the time, I'm sure. Oh, you would not believe the ridicule I'd get. I've, I've heard everything from your blowhard, your hot, full of hot air, you know, I've heard it all. I contacted Guinness World Records and here, you're looking at a guy that, you know, you hear these every once in a while, somebody says you got to make your own path. I didn't know anybody that held a world record. I didn't know anybody that had ever tried to break a world record. So I'm trying something I'd never known, heard, seen, done. And when I contacted Guinness World Records, they told me it had to be a British standard hot water bottle, and the record was 51, 52.68 seconds. And when I first got those British standard hot water bottles, I couldn't blow them up. And I just thought, well, maybe I was wrong. But then I just kept training. It took me seven years, 49 record attempts to break that Guinness World Record. Now, this is actually, you know, people see this and they go, well, he blew up a blue, but this is actually dangerous, isn't it? 
very dangerous. It can explode your lungs. It can tear your throat. You know, you're blowing into something that's not meant to blow up. The only thing it can do is either burst or the air can come back into your into your throat and into your lungs. It's very dangerous. So if it came back into your lungs, it would explode your lungs. I mean, you would die from that. Yes, and your lung tissue is not as thick and strong as a hot water bottle is. So you have to develop muscles for that to, to work. Yes. And so that's that's what it was, to seven years of training before you could actually blow one up. It took me, yeah, it took me seven years to blow, to, to blow one up for the world record. And through, through those years, I'd miss it by a second. I'd miss it by one or two seconds. Uh, 52.68 seconds is really fast. When, when you're thinking about it, um, trying to break a world record, that's really fast. And it was actually uh, here in Tahlequah at the high school, they were doing a, a, a carnival to raise money for cancer. And the principal called me and he said, would you like to try it one more time? And so in front of about 15 to 1,800 kids at the high school, I broke the world record in 2006 in 51.98 seconds. And that was my first Guinness world record. And so since then, you've racked up 11 more. And uh, one, one of them, uh, I read, you actually lifted a car off of the ground <laughs> with your breath. Now, am I right about that? <laughs> you are right. You know, um, here's one of my sayings. When's the last time you took a step out in space so far you knew it had to be God? Now, I don't have the size and I don't have the strength, but I firmly believe that God gives us all of our ability. It doesn't matter how big or small you are, where you come from, how old you are. You have to really completely rely on God. I was asked to do a, a show called Stanley Superhumans. Stanley's the creator of Spider-Man, X-Men, and Marvel Comics. During our Skype interview to do the show, they, I was asked, is there anything you've never done that you'd like to try to do? And I said, I want to see if I can lift a car. And they're like, you're kidding, right? That's, that's the craziest thing we've ever heard. And so I had never lifted a car, but they sent me the equipment to try to lift a car. And, and here in Tahlequah, I couldn't do it. We were at the EMS building just in case something were to happen to me. Now, just and so I, people know, that means putting airbags underneath of a car and blowing enough air in them to lift the vehicle off the ground. That's what that means. Yes, you're, you're putting as much air pressure as a hydraulic jack is using to lift a car. Okay, good. But I, I, I did it with my lungs. And so on the show... First car we lifted was actually 2,500 pounds, and that's where I got the nickname The Hurricane was from Stan Lee. So to have a nickname by Stan Lee is something that I'll never forget. You know, um, you know, he's he's that's the man of Marvel comic. Even throughout those years, people would still laugh at me. People would still make fun of me. And they're like, "What do you think that's going to take you in life?" And and I would just say, "I don't know." But why would you put limits on the gifts and talents that God gives us? And it did take you somewhere. It took you around the world, didn't it? I've been to Spain, Italy. China, Germany, but it was my first trip to China that really changed my life. They invited okay. you, right, because of the world records and so forth? Yes. You get invited to a show, and they pay for your flight, your hotel, your meals, and everything. And before I left, my, my pastor pulled me aside, and he said, now, Brian, I know you tell everybody that God gives you all your ability, but in China, that doesn't mean anything because there's so many idols and so many gods. He said, so I challenge you, if the door opens up, Brian, I challenge you to say the name Jesus Christ. Make it personal. Well, I didn't really think put much thought on that because I'm I'm on this soil. I'm thinking I can say Jesus Christ anytime I want. And so I fly to China and I met my interpreter. Her name was Mika. You know, they pulled in a, a Volkswagen Bug. It weighed three thousand four hundred fifty-two pounds. The challenge was to lift that car. And when we got there, they put you in a room. They tell you what to do, what you can do, what you can't do, where you can go, where you can't go, what you can say, and what you can't say. So you had escorts everywhere you went. Yes, and they make it very clear 
you do not talk about religion. And they also told me, told the whole room, if you go outside of what we tell you you can do, we're not responsible for you. So a couple of days go by and I'm on a reality show and I'm in front of the producer and director of the show and Mick is my interpreter and she's at, they're asking questions to Mick and I'm answering them back and forth. And all of a sudden she goes, Brian, they want you to say you're the God of lung strength. And my heart just hit the ground. I, I started sweating. I'm immediately heart racing. And for a minute, it was like a cartoon. One of the guys on the right side is on my shoulder is going, Brian, just let it go. Nobody's going to know if you call yourself a god of anything. Just let it go. You're in China. Who's going to know? But on the left side, it was like that guy was saying, Brian, you can't allow yourself to be called a god of anything. And so for about three or four or five seconds, I was having spiritual warfare in my head. What to do? What to do? What, what, what if I don't do it? What are they going to say? And before I realized it, I looked at Mika, my interpreter, and I said, Mika, I can't say that. And she looked at me confused, and she goes, you know can say? And I looked at her, and I said, Mika, there's only one God, his son, Jesus Christ, and I'm not God. And her smile was gone. You could tell she didn't want to repeat what I was saying to the producers and directors, because, you know, they're always smiling. But when she told them what I said, their smiles were gone. They started talking amongst themselves, and it wasn't friendly talking. Now I'm looking at both ends of the room. I'm waiting. Am I going to jail? Am I going to prison? Are they going to come get me? What What is going on? I'm scared. I've never been more scared in my life. And then they come back to Mika, and Mika comes back to me, and she says, Brian, they want you to explain what you just said. And I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, how much worse can this get? I felt this calm presence on my back, and I, it was like, I got your back. And I just started witnessing. I thought, you know, if I'm going to prison, if I'm going down, I'm going down with the fight. I told Mika, and Mika shares what I said, and it comes back, and she says, are you okay if they call you the champion of lung strength? And I was like, yeah. I still don't know if I'm okay. So I finished my interview, and I'm walking out, and there's a guy waiting to do an interview, and he's looking at me like a deer in headlights, and he goes, Brian, I can't believe you just said that. He said, I've got a friend in prison for what you just did. And I was so scared and so shook up. All I could say was, I know. So I go out to the, do the show. And I lift the car, break the new world record, and I see the producer and director on this on the other side of the room, and they're looking at me, and I'm thinking, "Yep, they waited till I did the record. They're going to tell me how much trouble I'm in." They come over and sit next to me. I'm thinking, "How much trouble I'm in?" They sit next to me, and I lifted that car four times. Each time they I lifted the car, they would put more weight, and then the final weight was three thousand four hundred fifty-two pounds. So they, when they sat next to me, they said, "Congratulations." I said, "Thank you," and they said, "Could you have kept going?" And I'm still confused, like, I'm waiting for you to tell me where I'm going to prison at. And they, they said, they asked me, could you have kept going? I said, yeah, it was a good day. They said, would you like to come back? And I'm like, you're going to let me come back? <laughs> After the show's over, Mika comes up to me, we're talking, and I, meet, I, said, I asked Mika, I said, Mika, how many people heard me on this show and saw me on this show today? And she named off several countries. And I said, no, I want to know how many people heard me witness today. Now, remember, people laughed at me, made fun of me. I'm full of hot air. Where do you think this is going to take you in life? And when Mika told me how many people their target audience was, it was 50 million people. 50 million Chinese 50 people million. heard the gospel because you could lift a car. Because I was full of hot air. It is amazing <laughs> what God can do with somebody full of hot air. So I look back at the fact that God knew way back in 1992 when I first started he knew even before then, this is what I'm going to use, Brian, to strengthen your lungs step by step, day by day, event by event, because I've got a 
I've got an event for you to go to in 2013 in communist China where I'm going to open up the door for you to witness. But you got to do what I need you to do. And that's what amazes me the most is that God knew even back then, I've got a plan for you. God knew when I was in that jail, I've got a plan for you. God knew when I was doing everything wrong, I've got a plan for you. It's amazing to me because, you know, I tell people I'm not a strong man. I'm not a powerlifter. I'm nobody special. I'm just somebody that made a lot of mistakes in life, but I learned from those mistakes. And, you know, one thing you mentioned to me when we were talking on the phone the other day is you said, you know, sometimes you can get humbled unexpectedly. And it happened to you on uh, America's Got Talent, didn't it? Tell people what happened on that show. I had just finished filming a show and uh, Stan Lee Superhumans. And I went on America's Got Talent and I was going to blow up three hot water bottles. I held the world record for blowing up three hot water bottles in a minute and eight seconds. But on America's Got Talent, I could not blow up one hot water bottle. And they laughed at me. They made fun of me. They booed me. How, I mean, Piers Morgan buzzed me. After the show, I was, I was so upset. I was like, God, why would you put me on this show and let me fail? And I would say that over and over again. And finally in prayer, I felt like he said, I didn't put you on there to succeed. And I didn't understand. As I'm talking to a girl in a program, she wanted to know how I handled the ridicule. Now, you were you were speaking at an event, and this girl came up and spoke to you and had a question for you. Is that what happened? Yes. After the event, you know, sometimes we take pictures. Sometimes we've signed autographs. And she came up, and she had, I showed the video from where they're laughing and making fun of me at, on America's Got Talent. And she said, how did you handle the ridicule? And I tried to answer her, but it obviously wasn't the way she was asking and so she asked me again, I need to know how do you handle the ridicule? So I try to answer again, and I said, you're obviously wanting a different answer than I'm giving you. What are you trying to ask me? And she pulled her sleeves up on her arms, and she had cuts all over her arms. She was a cutter, and she said, people make fun of me all the time, and I don't know how to handle the ridicule. My goodness. And that really changed a lot of the way I thought at the same time, because a lot of times kids go through things, they're made fun of, they're laughed at, you know, they're bullied. And they want to know, how do I handle the ridicule? I know you did it, but how do you, how can I do that? And so it really changed my my way of talking and part of my program. You know, what's amazing to me is I hold 12 Guinness World Records, and I still have people laugh at me. I still have made people make fun of me. That's just the way life is. But you have to remember that, you know, we were created for a reason, and we were created There's nobody like us. I learned that there's going to be things that you can do that I can't do and things that I can do that you can't do. We just need to learn what our gifts and talents are and go with that. Don't try to be like anybody else. Don't try to be smart or or fast or as pretty. Be who God created you to be. And God created me just to be full of hot air. (laughs) That's something who would have ever imagined it would lead you to this. And you actually have a program that you call the I Believe program, don't you? Yes, I do motivation programs in schools and churches, uh, conferences, conventions all over the country, been out of the country several times. And it started with the I Believe program, and I very seldom say my name. And so kids started coming up and saying, hey, you're the I Believe I Can Do It guy. You're the I, I Believe. And eventually it's, it went to, you're the I Believe guy, and that just stuck. Now I'm known as the I Believe guy, and I'd rather be known as the I Believe guy than Brian Jackson any time. In fact, I made that my website, IBelieveGuy.com. I made that my email address, IBelieveGuy at Yahoo.com. I want the kids to know I'm nobody special. I'm, I'm somebody that made mistakes, learned from those mistakes, 
And then I learned how to use the gifts and talents that God gave me. And now you have the opportunity to share this with kids in schools. If you were going to say something to young people, teenagers that are facing some of these things, what would you say to them? First of all, you got to believe in yourself. God created you for who you are. Don't try to be anybody else. When's the last time you took a step out in faith so far you knew it had to be God? Don't rely on your own self, your own knowledge, your own strength. Nobody had ever lifted a car before I did. So make your own path. Don't don't be a follower. If nobody's made that path, then figure out how to do it on your own. And at least try. You know, even if I'd never broke a world record, even though people laughed at me, I would have felt good if I'd known. You know what? I at least tried. There's so many people in this world that have these goals and dreams, and then they're like, well, what if I try it and it doesn't work out? They're going to laugh at me. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to laugh and make fun of you anyway. So why not at least try? Because then in your heart, you'll know, you know what? I tried something that nobody else would do. And I guarantee and I promise that you'll feel better about yourself. And when that enemy's lying to you that you're worthless, you're no good, you're, you're nobody, just remember, God created you. You're special. You are unique. And God loves you. I think that's wonderful. Now, you have actually written a book called The Great Adventure. Isn't that your life story, this very th- this very subject? It is the first part of my life story, and I'm just about finished the second book. The first one is, and I talk about the drug years. I talk about who I was and how I was and, and how bad I was, because to me, The Great Adventure is exactly the way I feel about my life. I'm not proud of who I was, but it was that part of my life that got me to where I am now. There's a reason why I have so much appreciation for where I'm at, uh, where I am and so much appreciation for where God brought me because I was there. I didn't read about it. I didn't watch it on TV. I lived that life. And there were a lot of people that I see sometimes in my, from my past are like, man, we thought you'd be dead. We thought you'd be in prison. We thought, you know, they always think the worst because they don't know how much, how God changed my life. It was a great adventure. So that's the title of the first book. And we don't have the title of the second book yet. But we're just a couple of chapters away from the second book being finished. Well, if somebody wanted to get that book or contact you or find out about where you're speaking or what's going on, how how do they do all of that? Well, my email address is IBelieveGuy at Yahoo.com. My website is IBelieveGuy.com. I'm on Facebook. Now, on Facebook or a YouTube or whatever, they can go and watch you break these world records. I know there's a lot of videos out there about you. Yes, and if you watch, there, YouTube has a lot of videos, and if you watch the video from America's Got Talent, you will get a sense of how many people laughed at me. You know, they called me a joke. They called, they made fun of me. A lot of, over 175,000 people are making fun of me because I couldn't do what I said I could do. Didn't change it, change anything though, did it? No, in fact, it kind of helped motivate me. Even in failures, God has a plan. We, we give up so many times when we fail, but I look at it like this. It's my most successful failure because even though I didn't do very well, I was still on America's Got Talent. It's how you look at things. Yeah, it really is. It is your perspective that matters. And and knowing that God lives in you and he is going to fulfill his plan if you're just willing, just willing to go and try and do it. I love this story. Well, it's amazing to me what God did with some stupid balloon animals. <laughs> and I know some of your records are blowing up a lot of these little balloons, right? Yes. Give me and a couple of just for fun for people to hear what they were. Yeah, I, I I encourage you and challenge you. If you're out there listening and you want to know what it's like, go to 
to Walmart, go to a store where they have those little balloon shaping animals, uh, balloons, and try to blow one up and see how hard it is. And remember, I can do nine at the same time in 250 and 21 minutes now. <laughs> so you are full of a lot of hot air. I am full of hot air. <laughs> I mean, that took a lot of training and so forth. Though, you, it, you know, you might warn people that don't just go out and do this. Yeah, because I let people try it for about three or four seconds and then stop and take a breath. Because if you don't, I've had a couple of people black pass out on me. Oh, is that right? My goodness. Yeah, but it's harder than it looks. I mean, there's a lot of core there. There's a lot of training. It took me seven years, 49 record attempts to break that were first world record. After each failure, I would learn, okay, I don't need to do this again, or I need to try this. And I would change my training up. I say God told me that was my record, but the difference is God didn't tell me when that was my world record. So I didn't feel like I had the right to give up and quit. Well, you know, one thing I do want to say, this is a, a cautionary note. You you were talking about blowing these up can really hurt you, but someone wants to go out there and just fool around with this. They need to know that, in fact, there have been many doctors that have warned you that there are times where this could be life-threatening. And, and so I just want kids to know, uh, you need to know what you're doing. Yeah, it's it's... It's challenging. It's not like, it's not easy to do. No, it isn't. Uh, Brian, thank you so much for coming on the show and, and doing this with us today. I know this is going to encourage a lot of kids. Don't quit. Keep going. Believe God. Your life isn't over because you've made a few mistakes. What an absolute blessing for them to know. And, and I hope to have you come back and tell us some more stories here in the future. Absolutely. I'd love to. Well, thanks again for being on the show. If you've got kids or grandkids, man, have them, have them hear this. Have them go to YouTube. Have them go to his website and see what God has done in Brian's life. And remember this, you too have a story, and it might even be better than you think. So call me. Let me know. Contact me on, our, on mygrandpajimmy.com. I'd love to hear your story. So thank you all for listening. God bless you.